0: Well, tomorrow, it is 55 and sunny, Sunday, 66 and sunny, and Monday, 66 and sunny. Hopefully, we will break the back of winter. So I have my spring colors on. I've already been made fun of numerous times for my green sweater, so thank you for the love that you're demonstrating. I appreciate it. Hey, I know a lot of you already have summer plans. Some of you are going to be working at camps. Some of you are going home, but others of you are still trying to figure out what to do for the summer. And I want to make a suggestion or make you aware of another opportunity. We have several churches across the Northeast that are willing to host you and have interns serve in a church for a summer. You don't need to be a ministry major or a religion major. You just have to be willing to serve in a local church working with youth or children and uh we could just quiet down chapels uh, beginning here now with announcements if you want to serve in a local church uh there are several opportunities some are looking for working with youth some with children um one of our uh, our speaker today their church in south portland is looking for someone to work with children this summer the associate pastors here they're going to have a table set up and the way this program works is called the Bridge Program, and the church will give you a thousand dollars for the summer, provide housing and meals, then ENC will match that scholarship with another thousand. Uh, you'd only have to work 20 to 25 hours a week at the church, and then they'll help you find another part-time job for the summer if you need more than that. So it's just another opportunity if you want to serve in the church. Obviously, significant scholarship money available. So you can let me know if you're interested. If you're interested in South Portland, Maine, speak to the pastors who I'm going to introduce momentarily. They'll be in the student center. And for the graduating seniors, I say this every year. Those that are juniors and seniors have heard me say it before. As you graduate, I would encourage you not to look for a job and then find a church. But I want to encourage you to find a church and then look for a job. I believe that God is calling many of you to serve in a local church with the gifts and talents that you have. And I just think I'd like to challenge you to do that. And uh, a great city to do that in is South Portland, Maine. There are a lot of job opportunities. And our pastor today is Pastor Timothy Brooks from South Portland Church of the Nazarene. And they'd love to talk to you a little bit about that. They have some information in the student center about South Portland and how they could help you uh, get established in the community and possibly serve in the local church. But uh, pastor Timothy Brooks, our speaker today, is the lead pastor at, as I said, South Portland Church of the Nazarene in Maine. Pastor Tim and his wife, Charice, I'm sorry, daughters Claire and Mackenzie, uh, they're big Boston Red Sox fans and uh, Chelsea Football Club. Reading, the outdoors, winning church softball trophies. So there's there's that, and the possibilities that the, of what God is going to do and in, in and through the church. He received his bachelor's and master's from Olivet Nazarene University. He then earned a master of divinity degree from Nazarene Theological Seminary, and is currently enrolled in a doctoral ministry program at Nazarene Theological Seminary. Can we welcome Pastor Brooks this morning, who will be speaking momentarily? <laughs> I'm going to ask the chapel team to come at this time. I want to give you an update. Um, Last week, you took an offering. We raised $1,100 for the water well, so thank you for that contribution. We also have youth groups that have made contributions and churches, and um, the total dollar amount that has come in is about $2,400. And then we have, thank you, Tiffany, and then we have uh, some other youth groups. ...who have committed to another 2,000. That money hasn't come in yet, but we have commitments of another 2,000, so we're well over 4,000 toward that 8,500. But I need to remind you and encourage you, we have this very demanding and challenging race, the 0.5K, uh, that we'd like some of you to run for this cause. We will have water stations throughout this 0.5K to make sure you get through uh, safely... Don't feel like you need to run the entire .5K if you need to walk it because you don't have the strength and energy, that's fine. And you're going to find out more information how you can even direct people to a fundraising page uh, for your .5K. Um, you should be embarrassed that you can only do a .5K, but if it's for a good cause like a water well, I hope you can help us get to the 8500. That'll be in a few weeks. Well, let us stand and begin uh, with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of another day. We thank you, Father, for the spring weather that will finally arrive this weekend. At least we hope it arrives. It's been certainly a long winter and a a very wet and cold spring so far. So I pray this weekend that every student uh, in this community, whether here in chapel or not, that it just be a weekend where they are revived, renewed, and refreshed, and uh, reminded uh, that spring is on the way and warmer weather is on the way. Thank you for helping us through these difficult weather months and through this school year and i pray lord that we also finish this school year strong we finish the school year strong in our classes among friendships and relationships in our our places of employment and above all lord i pray whether in winter months spring or summer that uh, we glorify you every day of our lives so we dedicate this time to you thank you that you are here that you are with us pray your blessing upon this chapel team and pastor brooks
1: as uh, we worship you today corporately we pray these things in christ's name amen let us worship together When I was given the opportunity to come here and speak before you, I realized pretty quickly that the first thing I needed to decide was whether or not I'm old. I thought long and hard about this. This is a confusing question, really. I had an ENC alum in my church this week who's 40 years old inform me, you are very old. Consider yourself very old. I remember going to ENC, he said, and I hated it when the chapel speakers tried to pretend like they were my age. I don't know if that still exists among you, but I'm going to try and act my age today. But my age is kind of a confusing thing to be. It's actually very hard. You see, most of you in here today know you are a millennial, right? You hear about this all the time. You're just clickbait on Facebook and Twitter to find out what it means to be a millennial. Millennial, millennial, millennial. Uh, millennials are a famous topic. Everyone is trying to buy and sell to you. Everyone is trying to win your attention. Millennial, millennial, millennial. Now, believe it or not, I might be a millennial too. I'm not really sure because some experts say that the millennial line started with a birth in 1980. All right? That seems like a long time ago now. Other experts say that the birth line for a millennial began in the year 1982. Anyone want to guess what year I was born? 1981. So I have no idea what I am. In fact, when I when I read surveys of millennials and Gen Xers who come right before, um, I, I find a little bit of myself in both of them. And so to self-identify becomes very difficult for me. Uh, this is a problem that, that you probably don't identify with. But but I look back and I, I, I see aspects of both of these generations in myself. For example, on the one hand, I grew up in a house with a rotary phone. Did any of you ever have a rotary phone in your house? Yeah, thanks. We're together. Yeah. You had to put your finger in a hole and spin it. And if you got to the sixth number and you were wrong, you had to start over again. There wasn't a delete button on your iPhone. Unbelievable. My first cell phone that I ever got was in college. I was in college when I got my first cell phone and I thought it was awesome because I could play snake on it. All right. Now, you know, I'm old. Okay, I've outed myself. But on the other hand, on the other hand, I I was one of the very first owners of uh, Google's first Android uh, smartphone, the G1. And so, see, there are parts of me that are very millennial and there are parts of me that are very Gen X. For example, I'm very Gen X because I grew up playing a Sega Genesis on a dial TV. Still cool. All right. I love it. But then again, when the PS4 came out, it was within a month and a half that I purchased that thing, and I play it on my big screen, widescreen TV, and listen to my wife ask me, are you going to turn that thing off yet? I I live in both generations. I I didn't have a computer in my house until I was 17 years old. I handed in book reports in high school that I had written on a typewriter, all right? If you type to the bottom of a page in a typewriter and you make a mistake, Page comes out, and you start over again. I'm telling you the delete key is the best invention ever made, in case you were wondering, all right? But yet, on the other hand, now I have a MacBook, which is kind of another millennial sort of thing to do. Uh, My Gen X creds continue. I, I used to think that cargo pants were cool. Nobody thinks cargo pants are cool. What was I thinking? I have no idea. And then yet, on the millennial side, I... I got to admit, I really don't see what the big deal is with tattoos, and yet many of my Gen X peers and older kind of give you that little look for those of you that have them, right? They, they thought you were all right until you pulled up your sleeve a little bit, and it's, whoa, who are you? You know? I, I don't see what the big deal is. Uh, I, I grew up watching shows like Saved by the Bell, Seinfeld, and Growing Pains. Love those shows. Yeah, but I watched them when they were on Thursday night at 7 p.m., <laughs> All right. But yet my millennial side, I love shows like The Office, Parks and Recreation, Breaking Bad, shows like that as well. All right. Very cool. See, see I keep getting like the professor side like in my first half and the student side like <laughs> in my second half. You see how confusing it is to be born in 1981, right? You don't know where you belong. I, I could go on. I'm, uh, I grew up watching MTV, Uh, If I'm honest, as a Nazarene kid, I, I grew up sneaking MTV when my mom wasn't around. So I knew who Jenny McCarthy was before she was a kook, all right, for those of you that know what she's up to these days. And yet now, these days, I watch almost all of my music. I listen to most all my music through YouTube and channels there. And so to find which generation I'm a part of is very confusing. And I find that the more I spend time with millennials, the more they don't want me. Like, no, you can go just be a part of the Gen X generation. I I had a youth pastor um, in a church that I served before that told me straight up to my face, you are not a millennial. Stop trying to be a millennial. The church needs you to be a Gen Xer because they can't have too many young people around here. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah, what do you do with that? All right. So, okay, maybe I'm a Gen Xer. The Gen Xers are willing to welcome me with open arms, but honestly, I don't know that I want to be a Gen Xer. I mean... Really, they're the ignored generation, right? Every story you read, every, every uh, rating that TVs are trying to get, every sale that markets are trying to make, they're worried about the boomers and they're worried about the millennials. And the Gen Xers, are, they're getting passed over for promotions. They're not really thought through in terms of what markets bear and all this kind of stuff. The Gen Xers are really the forgotten generation, and they seem to be the only generation that really wants me. It's hard. But what we do have, especially in the church, if we could start focusing in there, is a huge amount of baby boomers and now millennials. And the church is faced with some sort of uh, written, unwritten, spoken, or unspoken conflict between the boomers and the millennials. And the two within the church seem to want very, very different things. And again, no one's asking the Gen Xers in between what they want, right? It's like, are we, are we going to do church old school? Or are we going to... Um, are we going to you know circle the wagons and come back to the way things used to be? Are we going to be an old-style holiness church because that's when we were at our best? Or are we going to look at the past and say the past was great, it gave us so many gifts, but we need to look into the future and imagine who we're going to be going forward? This is a conversation that's happening everywhere. And it seems, if you want to put on your cynical glasses today, it seems all too often that those with the finances are the ones who are making the final decisions. And so I'm watching as my friends, my peers, and those younger than me are are seeing the direction the church is going, and they're becoming cynical. They're becoming upset. They're becoming afraid that they don't have a voice and that there's no seat at the table for them. It's become very despairing for many of your generation and those even a little bit older. Where can I speak into this? This may not be a question that you're facing yet, but I imagine that it's a question you will face in the near future. And my hope today is to remind you of your call, the call in your life as a Christian uh, young adult, and also to remind you of the church's need for you and your voice, no matter how, how hard it's going to get. And so I thought we would look at a story in scripture that particularly dealt with a generation gap and also a conflict. And that story is found in Acts chapter 6 and 7. Um, I don't know if any of you uh, follow along in your phones or your iPads or what, or Or if half of you are asleep, some of you look like you're still awake, so I must be doing something right. That's good. Um, But let's let's follow the story of Stephen in the early church. Uh, Stephen is brought to the surface for us uh, simply because uh, there's a conflict between widows. And so we have the baby boomers of the time. They've lost their husbands. They can't work. Finances are tough. And so the church is trying to feed them. This is the sort of thing that churches do. They try to take care of those who struggle. And so the church is taking care of them, and the apostles who Jesus had appointed are going to great lengths to distribute bread to them. And they're finding that in their work as pastor, preacher, prayer, minister, that they're not getting the details correct. That uh, maybe, maybe we're told that the, the Grecian or the Hellenistic Jews and, and the, uh, the Hebraic Jews, the, the Jewish Jews, the widows are arguing with each other about who's getting more. I want more. No, I want more. No, I want mine. I should get more. We've heard these sort of arguments before. And so the apostles come together and they decide that they need to appoint people to oversee this ministry in particular. And we have our first sense in the church of lay leaders. And so with these lay leaders, they decide they want two qualifications for the lay leaders. Two things that they want to see out of the people who are going to help them. They want to see the people who are going to help them as lay ministers in their church are filled with the Holy Spirit... And full of wisdom, I think that that's a huge upgrade for what we look for in the church today. Because typically in the church today, we look for is anyone available on Wednesday night at seven? Okay, okay, three of you, good. Um, Are any of you okay with the nursery? You know, but here they they want—they're looking for spiritual qualifications. They, They want to see for a menial task in the church like giving bread away to widows. They want to check and see that they are filled with the Spirit. And they're filled with wisdom. This is where you come into in the story. You all are coming to ENC, right? You've made a purposeful choice to come to a Christian school, uh, a Nazarene school at that. And I would say without a doubt that if I were to ask your administration here, they would, ask, they would hope and pray that by the time you leave here in four years, that you're a bunch of Stevens filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with wisdom. What is a Christian university trying to do if not to do those two things? To cultivate the spirit in your life and to cultivate wisdom in you. And so my hope and prayer for you is that when you finish this school, that you're a Stephen. Ready, willing, and able to serve, even if the task is menial and feeling below you. Just simply because God has done a work in you to fill you with his spirit and to give you wisdom. And so Stephen goes about his job and it turns out that Stephen is way better at his job than even the bare minimum requirements were asking him to be. He was really good at what he did, so much so that he signs and miraculous wonders start occurring around him. I mean, he is he is the millennial that is as good as his helicopter parents said he was. All right, that's that's pretty impressive. So he's doing everything right, and what we have is people who get jealous of that, of course. We have people who are older, involved in a particular synagogue, that are very upset at the work that he's doing, and that the work he is doing is in the name of that Jesus that they had crucified. And so they start making up lies about him. They start telling stories about him until his name gets famous because he's blaspheming. He's saying things that are untrue. He's lying about who God is. And, and that becomes who he is known as until he's brought before the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was like an appellate court, okay? It was, it was who you were brought to if you were causing religious problems. Now, Israel was a theocracy, right? The government was centered around the fact that God was uh, was Lord and that they were following him. And so this particular court was devised of people who were the most experty experts of the law. These people knew it backwards and forward. And if there was ever a religious dispute of extreme nature, people were dragged before the Sanhedrin and they had to tell their point. And so here is Stephen now standing in front of people who have the authority to undo him, to finish him. To stop him. And and Stephen just stands there. I imagine he's trembling. I imagine he's nervous. I imagine he's scared. Uh, I imagine he looks up and sees this as the generation that's been before him, that they know things, that they're smart, that they have experience. And yet, in his heart of hearts, in in his gut, he feels a movement of the Spirit that he needs to speak to them. Now, many of us have had that movement of the Spirit before. Uh, Many of us including myself, maybe particularly myself, have ended up coming off a little obnoxious when we feel like we're speaking for the Spirit to those who stand in front of us. And Stephen goes about it in a really interesting way. In order to defend himself, he tells their story, not his. He doesn't defend himself at all, but he invites them to remember their story. He talks about Abraham. He talks about Isaac. He talks about uh, Jacob. He talks about Moses. He, He talks... He talks about David and Solomon. He talks about the exile. He invites them to remember their story. And as they hear their story, their hearts are probably moved until he gets to his closing point. And his closing point is found in Acts chapter 7. We're going to look at uh, just two verses, verses 51 to 53, I believe. And this is the final thing that Stephen says to this generation that stands before him. Remember, Stephen is filled with the spirit and wisdom. And so no matter how much you read this and hear it and think it lacks wisdom, remember this was a qualification of him, filled with the spirit and wisdom when he says these words to the council that has power over his life. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, or you have received the law that was given through the angels, but you have not obeyed it. Now, Stephen is speaking to the people who are the particular keepers of the law. And he's telling them that they do not obey the law that they are there to defend. I said, that's a dangerous move for Stephen to make. So dangerous, in fact, that we see that they get angry, they get mad, they grab his body, and they begin to drag him out of the city. So Stephen is just kind of bouncing down a dirt road, probably feet in the air, being held by some large thugs. And as he's going through, we're told, as the story continues, that he has an incredible peace about him, which is sort of shocking, isn't it? I mean, whether or not you believe you're in the right, when people turn and begin to persecute and come at you, speak angry things to you, even even try to turn towards violence upon you, I don't know that peace is what happens in our soul. But, But Stephen's ability to speak the truth, even in a hard time, filled with the spirit and filled with wisdom, allowed his heart to be all right. And so as he's dragged out to the outside of the city, these men who uphold the law begin to grab stones and throw it at him. They're trying to kill him now. And Stephen's peace continues. He says to them, I look up and I see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. In the midst of the worst point, the worst moment of his life, his life is facing a sure end now because he was filled with the Spirit Doing signs and wonders, creating jealousy amongst those who were in front of him. Speaking truth to those who needed truth spoke to. This has led to his very demise. And he's at peace because he can see the face of Christ. And he knows that while Christ is hurting for him, he's also probably quite proud of him. And so Stephen stands and takes his punishment... And as he begins to be pelted with rocks, and as he begins to feel life start draining out of his body, he quotes the very words of Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And shortly after that, he perishes. You guys are going to leave ENC somewhere between a couple months and three years. And my hope and prayer for you is that you go out of here with all of the wisdom that you've gained. All of the spirit that you have come in contact with. That you allow all of that stuff to fill your minds and your hearts and your lives while you're here. And my prayer is that you run into the church with those gifts and not away from the church. Because the church, well, it is the body of Christ, it is... The bride of Christ, that which Christ loves with all of his hearts, it makes mistakes. Many of you have been hurt by the mistakes of the church before, and I apologize for that so much. Some of you are geared up to be hurt by the church. And when the church hurts you, it will feel as though you are on the corner of a mountain being stoned by it. Nothing is more painful than being hurt by your church. That moment is most likely going to come. But for those of us who are willing to subject our lives like Stephen was to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the hurt and the pain can be worth it to speak truth even into our churches. Because Christ stands above us smiling at us. Ready to receive us, ready to take us, ready to hold us when it gets hard. My fear amongst millennials is this, is that when things get hard, when they speak truth, when they try to cast a vision for the future among the church, and it's met with some initial rejection, they run. And they create, uh, they either run from the church completely, no longer going to church, or they create their own little sects of homogenous understanding and thinking. That's not really helpful either, is it? To just be around people that agree with you all the time? The truth of the matter is is that the church could be in danger in the United States of America if you all don't fight through. The truth of the matter is, is if when you see the Sanhedrin of your life picking up a stone and looking for you, and you simply cut and run instead of standing your ground and speaking truth, filled with the Spirit, understanding the presence of Christ is near, if you cut and run, we may be without a church of the Nazarene in 50 years. We may be without churches in general. And the fact of the matter is that the church still matters. Sometimes we question that today. Why do we even bother with organized religion? It doesn't seem to make sense. But the church still matters. People's lives are still changed inside of the church. Social justice is still done through local church bodies. The church still makes a difference in the world today. And the church needs you. But what the church doesn't need, what the church doesn't need is those of you who are ready to just quote verses 51 and 53 in spite and anger. Oh, you stiff-necked people, you just resist what God is doing. For for those of us in this generation who just want to throw stones at at the the glass house, the church doesn't need that. That's not helpful. It's crumbling on its own accord in some regards. What the church needs is for those of us Those of you at this age, at this moment, ready and willing to say, you know what? I'm not going to simply give my life to Christ. But I want to be filled with his spirit so I can give my life to his bride as well. The church desperately needs you to spend these years allowing yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And allowing yourself to be filled with wisdom. So that you can help rebuild the body of Christ in the United States of America. In my local church, South Portland Church of the Nazarene, which is just about 100 miles north of here, a lot of cultural similarities to Boston and Quincy in that area, Um, we're trying to create already in a local church of the Nazarene an atmosphere where the boomers and the millennials both have opportunities to speak in ways of leadership, in moments where their input and their voice matters. We're trying to create a culture that's intentionally intergenerational. And let me tell you, that is hard work. That is hard, hard work to create intergenerational community. But I'm telling you right now that there are churches out there, including mine, and and Corey had mentioned the idea that you should find a church and then find a job. I'm telling you that Portland is an awesome place. (laughs) Portland is an awesome place. But, but I know that as a pastor who's trying to hear your voice and let your voice into places of leadership where your voice matters, I need you to be willing to be that voice. And so if anyone ever wanted to talk to me about what it would look like to take your graphic design degree or your psych degree or, or whatever degree and move to Portland and learn what it's like to be a member of the Church of the Nazarene in a thriving community, I'd be thrilled to talk with you today. But the first task that you need to do is take these years and open your heart and your life and your mind to the movement of the Spirit for the wisdom of God to overtake you and begin to flush out the cynicism and the anger and the selfishness that coats this generation. Let wisdom and the Spirit begin to flush that out of you. I'm not saying not be a millennial. Be a millennial by all means. Question, ask questions, poke, prod, do all of those things. But the spirit of cynicism is not helpful to your heart, and it's not helpful to the church. And so the band is going to come, and we're going to sing kind of a closing song. And if anyone in here has just heard today, you know what I I have been tempted to turn my back on the church. Uh, I, I am prone towards cynicism and selfishness and anger. I don't want to be. I, I want to be a productive member of the church. And I need the Spirit to fill me. I need wisdom to help just knock that stuff out of me. We're going to open the altars as this final song is sung. And I'd invite, if the Spirit has spoken to you at all, that you, I'd invite you to come forward because the Spirit is wanting to work on you. You are the important next leaders of the church. And not only the church, the movement of God. Whether you're a religion major or, or you are looking towards a secular vocation, either way, God is calling you to be a leader in His kingdom. Open your hearts to the Spirit today and hear what He's saying to you. Let's sing.
0: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, a benediction I often pray as we are dismissed from chapel each day is uh, that we go in peace to love God and serve others and may we never forget that we do so through the body of Christ so whether we are Nazarene or Baptist or Methodist or Catholic or Pentecostal whatever our tradition or background thank you for the Christian heritage that we have received and may we be good stewards of that gift and serve your church and your kingdom through the body of Christ. For those who have not yet made a commitment to you or to your church, we pray they come to a saving faith and that they too serve the body of Christ with the gifts and talents that you have given them. Thank you again for this time of worship. We pray your blessing upon Pastor Brooks, his church, and South Portland Church of the Nazarene. Watch over and protect us as we go our struggle ways to serve you now and be glorified in all that we do and say. We pray these things now in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace to love God and serve others. You are dismissed.